0: Oh Nationwide, everybody knows my name. They're like, Mama, that's Kenny Montgomery. He sings that song we like. Yeah, yeah boy, that's me. Roll out the trailer, I'm Klausen. huh Them Hoosier tires glossing. Yep. Them cold kind, we're tossing. Right. They know I came to wreck it, yet I rarely bring out a caution. I hit the high side. Boy, I park parking for Brian Clausen. Huh. I do them like Kyle. Larkin.
1: Welcome to Throttled Insiders. Up the Podcast. Throttled Up will be a weekly podcast featuring Matt and Dustin. We plan to discuss the legendary Brownstown Speedway, along with other local dirt tracks, Eldora, Salem Speedway, and all of your IndyCar and NASCAR news. Don't miss an episode of Throttled Up, the podcast.
0: Hey, Mo, are you going to win it? Yeah, I hope y'all brought some stamps, because y'all know I'm about to send it on me. Dirt, 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 I'm all about that. Dirt. I'm throwing dirt, 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 I miss that. Dirt, 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 got to get back to I'm it. I'm a dirt trackaholic, call it what you call it. Saturday night, I am so Kenny Wallace so
1: that. Welcome back to Throttled Up, Uh, episode three this week. We have another guest in studio this week with us. Uh Joss Moffitt is here with us, Sprint car driver from southern Indiana uh welcome joss how are you i'm doing great how are you guys doing doing wonderful doing great matt big another big week but uh wet week um again we're we're still crossing our fingers holding out hope that that uh as we get closer to saturday night it's gonna dry up but mother nature's not playing real nice right now yeah i know when we
2: started this podcast we planned on uh you know talking about highlights of local racing but uh right now everybody's garage racing because there's way too much you know liquid on the ground for for any highlights right now
1: yeah so um Joss, we wanted to kind of just jump in here with you but i'm going to ask for you before we even get started let us know who your sponsors are that that help you because one thing that when matt and i kind of started this thing that we wanted to make sure of is we gave drivers a chance to kind of promote their sponsors when they came on so who helps you get to the track every
3: weekend well i have a handful of people uh my buddy brad bennick at momentum racing suspensions he uh does a great job on our shocks and stuff like that he gives me a discount and and a lot of info, information on the chassis setups and stuff and he's just a very good uh, mentor for me and uh, i get hoosier tire they help me out quite a bit um simpson racing products i have uh nate brandon lawn care he jumped on board this year and helped me out so i'm really excited about that and uh I have a partner in my race team this year, Orville Wright. He's a partner on my uh, Silver Crown team, and he uh, jumped on board, and, and that really stepped up the game for me so I can look down the road and race uh, more frequently and get another car put together. And and uh, that's really about all I have. That and Kevin Thomas, he does steering gears for me, and he does those for free, which is pretty awesome, and I love that guy. But uh, I have a, some people, it's just not very many, but just enough to keep me plugging away. Awesome. And free is good no matter what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I like free.
2: <laughs> Kevin can probably help you out a little bit uh, on more than just the steering gear. I mean, you know, he's had many, many hours in the seat of a sprint car, so he could probably help you out, you know.
3: Oh, absolutely. If I was half the driver that guy was, I'd win a lot of races, I'll tell you that right now. I mean,
2: he was he was a bottom feeder, always stay on the bottom of the racetrack, but, you know, he's
1: a – man, he could wheel a sprint car.
3: Oh, man, I need that kind of patience. <laughs> I need to see if he can rub it off on me.
1: <laughs> so when we when we get to started – talking about kind of your history and things where where did this this passion and love for racing come from and i i kind of know a little bit but for our listeners that may not know you as well wh- where
3: does this come from for you man it started when i was just a little squirt my dad uh, always painted any cars and sprint cars so i was always around it and, and uh, growing up i had some friends that raced and made me really uh anxious and, and jealous that i couldn't do it so when i got old enough i ended up uh buying a sprint car and let me back up a little bit i was uh as matt knows i was helping out some guys like pete abel and and jeff wilson and kevin thomas and so i I learned how to work on them somewhat and but when i bought my own sprint car i wanted to race and and i could have went like a a go-kart deal or a a three-quarter midget but the problem was is i was poor and i needed to do it now if i want to race sprint cars as i knew once i jumped on the a different position, a different role of uh, how I was going to race. I was going to spend all my funds and not be able to move up. So I was around it all my life, and the people I knew is just kind of destined for it to happen. So that's kind of how it went.
1: And that is a pretty big jump to jump straight into the sprint car world.
3: <laughs> yeah, i I tell you what, it hot laps. It, I, uh, i crap myself you know what i mean i i remember i got lapped by uh, chris coers three times in hot laps and i thought i was flying i was probably going 20 miles an hour and anything fell out of control to me
2: <laughs> yeah as i said when when i met you you was uh you was a very young kid at that time you yeah. know because uh, when i was next door neighbors to, to rod reynolds there and your dad you know was was over there a lot you know when kevin thomas drove for rodney and then and, uh you you'd come with your dad and and uh you know, then then Jeff, you know, was over there and all of them. So I, I kind of watched you grow up for a while. And then all of a sudden, you know, you kind of, you know, I don't live next to Rodney anymore now here that you're racing a sprint car. I was like, holy cow, you know, what? when did this happen?
3: <laughs> what happened to this little idiot? What happened to him?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> you can't be right in to get a race car for one thing. You let, let alone a sprint car without <laughs> you driving anything, right? But uh, you, you mentioned
2: your dad. I mean, he's uh, he's probably the most – famous guy in sprint car racing that's not a driver i mean if you go to a sprint car race and you bring up billy moffitt everybody knows your dad you know because he has painted something for somebody at, you know at some time so what uh you know you kind of come in there with with everybody knowing your dad so everybody knows you because you was with dad all the time so it uh you know you kind of start with that
3: oh yeah it helps so i tell you what if it wasn't for who he established himself as of knowing all the people he did i wouldn't be able to uh I wouldn't have been able to get to where I am, another sponsor I left out is uh is Roger Williams of williams precision engines and uh he's a huge help and he's a major part of my race team he uh he's taught me a lot you know about engine program and, and stuff like that, and I help him with the engines and, and he i mean, I wouldn't be able to do it without him throughout the years because whenever I needed somebody he was always there to step up and get me to the racetrack no matter what the cost or or hours late night in the shop or or it took he uh he dedicated himself to my racing program and he believed in me and, and that's another you know, like he met us through my dad and if it wasn't for my father i wouldn't have got some of his connections like him and kevin thomas and and being able to be around sprint car racing and growing up and, and meeting all these other people and, and i think it helped me with who's your tire too because uh, the history you have with everybody else and so it's kind of it's kind of weird how my dad uh him being a little lonely painter and a little liquid <laughs> wrench like uh, some people call him. kind of was like a stepping stone for me. Can nope. you paint? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask it right now. Man, I could try, but I'm terrible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, you, got,
1: you got the driving skills. That's all
3: right. <laughs> right.
2: As <laughs> yeah, I say, you're probably not like Dad. I mean, he, he's slick, man. He can, he can lay the paint down. So. He now, is. What, what year did you jump in the sprint car? Let's get the timeline started here.
3: Man, I started with, uh, in 2004 as my rookie season. I was 24 years old
2: that's about what i was i was thinking there it was in the early 2000s there and then you your
1: first night was it at lawrenceburg or did you go somewhere else or
3: yeah it's at lawrenceburg
1: and and i'm gonna ask this because i i know where matt kind of leans we've talked about this on this podcast and and i lean a little bit different way but and i know your family you know kind of your upbringing led you to sprint cars but have you ever considered jumping in anything else other than that sprint car
3: man absolutely i I really wanted to try out a late model, and uh Bashille walked up to me and goes, hey, I want you to run my late model for me, and I was like, man, that'd be awesome. Let's do this. And he's like, you gotta pay me. I was like, no, I'm not gonna pay you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll run for free, but I'm not gonna pay you. <laughs> I don't
2: know if Dad would let you get in the late model though, because he he pretty locked down with the sprint cars there, so
3: he would. He he's, he thought it was a cool idea. Oh, when did I he? mentioned it. Yeah, I mean if. I would love to, if somebody gave me an opportunity. I've had opportunity to race uh, modified a couple of times, but it just never worked out. I was supposed to do that big uh, race they have down at Lawrenceburg and mm-hmm. but it just never happened, and which is a bummer. Um Roger, he he offered me his modified one night when he had his, but I didn't want to get him out of the seat just to do it, so. Well,
1: and we've talked about it, you know, last year when Chase Briscoe came into Brownstown for the no way out and jumped in a late model that was a cool experience to see a guy that has always wheeled a, a sprint car and that family heritage as well. I think I'd make for a really neat night to see you in a in a late model a little bit. And, you know, there's a whole different element that comes into that banging the doors a lot more than what you can, obviously, with the sprint cars because that usually ends in a real exciting wreck.
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you can't really rub that much. And we do bang a little bit, but not like the late models. Yeah, and yeah. The late models always intrigue me because all the um, – they're more uh technical than a sprint car in my opinion you know with the what they call them lift bars and all oh, suspension yeah. and stuff and, and things are pretty awesome man i really i really appreciate that kind of racing and people get me wrong because i am a sprint car guy but uh i still love the, the sport of dirt racing and i just always want to see it continue to grow and if it wasn't for late miles it wouldn't make sprint cars what it is and i think they both kind of counterbalance each other I'm, I'm glad
2: to hear you say that because you know, I I am a late model guy. I mean, you guys knew that when I lived, you know, next to Rodney and hung out with all you guys. But I think anymore that both of them feed each other. You know, there's some technology in a sprint car mm-hmm. that a late model uses, and there's some technology in late model that the sprint cars can adapt to, and uh, it, it does help. And and I like to see you know the sprint car drivers jump into late models, and late model guys try to jump into to sprint cars, but it just seems like it seems like a sprint car driver can convert to a late model, but a late model driver is hard for a sprint car because he they're used to banging you know you mentioned jeff wilson i mean he had a hard time when he went from a late model to a sprint car because you got to drive them totally different
3: absolutely that's the thing about jeff is that man he has so much talent that guy i mean i love that guy he he's one of the most talented racers i ever met and he jumped in in the pete's and rodney's sprint car and that dude, he had the speed right out of the gate, but, man, he couldn't keep it off his head. And I was worried about him because he was so tall, and his head was sticking out of the cage. And I'm like, Jeff, you know, we need to do something about this. Oh, I'll duck. He, he can't duck. You know I mean? going to still whip around and smack the dirt. So, But that dude, he is a phenomenal racer. And he told me that the problem he had in the sprint car was I think he was trying to hold his breath all the time because yeah. he's trying to get too excited. I mean, once he calmed down, man, he was as good as it gets out there.
2: Yeah, he told me that when he first started too. That when they dropped the green flag, he said he, he caught he was holding his breath to concentrate, and he you know he'd run out of breath because he wasn't breathing while he was driving. So
1: in a feature, you know he he you know he'd run out of breath about five laps in. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it is a you know, and the whole idea of sprint cars, I think, and, and I love it all. I, I mean, I agree. I, I lean a little bit more towards the sprint car. I, I grew up south of Bloomington and, and spent a lot of times at Bloomington Speedway, and I know that. When I listen to some of your previous interviews, that uh, that's a that's kind of a love hate relationship for you at Bloomington Speedway. But uh, you know, I, I think in in both of them, when you and, and I, I, I hope that our fans and one thing that we're trying to do with this is really encourage people to come out to the tracks to see the talent that's at a lot of these local tracks on a Saturday night is unbelievable, and and the ability that guys have to make these cars get in positions and and set things up and make passes is is unbelievable so um i i would love to see you be able to jump in a late model at some point and if anybody that does listen to us has one that would like to let josh jump in i, I would encourage that completely i'll be a fair game just uh, just give me a call please
2: <laughs> <laughs> so uh before we started you said your 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 uh, sponsors kind of got you uh, contracted to lawrenceburg speedway now so that's that's pretty much where you're going to be on saturday nights then
3: yeah when we're not running the silver crown deal and winter lawrenceburg's not running i might go do some uh, local youth shows and i could like do some kokomo and uh I oh, yeah. I'm entertaining the idea of me running Bloomington on a Friday, not here and there. But my problem is I've ran probably 15 features over there and not finished with a single one. So that place is, I don't know, like a little old man <laughs> down the infield reaches up and grabs a hold of me every time. I don't understand it.
2: Now, do you go up and race Gas City at all? Do you, do you make it up there and, and race up there at all?
3: I have a handful of times. But the problem is, is I always have to take off so much from work, and I don't like doing that because that just takes away from me financially. And I'd rather – um i'd rather work than play on saturday and sunday um bloomington's easy because you know i get off work i might take off a half hour and still make it in time but uh the thing is is like my uh i have a car owner orville Wright, and him and his buddies they camp out down at lawrenceburg so they want me there whenever sprint cars are there so that's that's the only thing but i don't mind being tied down to, to that with it Comes of money you know he's helped me with the bills so that does i don't complain i love that place It's probably one of my favorite racetracks i was gonna
1: say lawrenceburg's not a bad track to be tied to either so that's that's a pretty good sprint car track
2: So you're you're track champion there one year right
3: i've won it three different that's times okay yeah i uh i won it on the original the quarter mile and uh i guess it's not original but because all the years have been around but I'm the only guy that's won it on the quarter mile and the new track. I won it in 2007, 2009, and I won it in 2015. I could have won it maybe two other times, but I, a couple of those other seasons I chose to go kind of bounce around, I still almost won the thing. so
2: That's impressive.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a definitely a pretty cool feat. I want to get at least one more, so I'm kind of... I'm in the elite group now. There's only three of us who've won that that many times, but I'd like to get up there with uh, Greg Staub. He's won at five, so if I get at least closer to him, maybe I get above the shooter at Lawrenceburg on the <laughs> Hall of Fame. <laughs> who's uh, who's the other two that's won it three times? Um, I think uh, Randy Kinzer. I had to. So you're you're. Kerry in... Norris. I have to look back.
2: So I mean, Kerry Norris is. You know, around this area, he's well, well known for the sprint cars. So, I mean, yeah. you're, you're in an elite group there with them guys.
3: So. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I can't remember. I think that um, Butch Wilkerson's one. Butch is, I know Butch is in
2: the Hall of Fame down there, and Pete Abel's in the Hall of Fame down there. So. Yeah,
3: and, man, I felt so bad because uh, Drew, he told me about it like three months before it was going to happen. He's like, hey, they're going to induct my dad in the Hall of Fame down there. I don't know when it's going to be. I think it's the beginning of the season, he told me. And finally, the, the week came. He told me, he he's I to come grab you. It's between the heat races, like our heat races and the Hornets. You got to be up on the stage, but i come grab you. And I went up there because he didn't come around, and there was nobody around. So I had to come back to the pits and make final adjustments on the car. I made it back up there, and it was already over. I mean, <laughs> I wanted to see Pete. I wanted to see he had a little twinkle in his eye, a little, <laughs> little tear. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> so with Lawrenceburg being home, where else, I mean, where, where's that bucket list track to go
3: race at? You, do you have some that you would just love to get that sprint car out on? Man, I want to go to Knoxville so bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whether it be wing or non-wing. And, and that's the thing I want to pursue is uh, I want to try to build another engine. I really want to get some wings and do some wing racing again next year. I can't do it this year. I have one motor, and one bullet's not enough. I mean, no. that's like three or four knots and one deal. So I just uh, – I want to do, like, Knoxville and maybe, like, Eagle Raceway. I just want to go play around, go out west a little bit, and, and I wouldn't mind uh, maybe going to Hopstad again. I went and ran an outlaw show there once, and it was an embarrassing night, but, you, had, uh, you know, there's a couple other places I like to go.
2: Hopstod's a fast little joint. I mean, that they fly around there. I went down for uh, Indy Sprint Week about four years ago and watched a race down there, and, that was an impressive joint to watch them guys race there so
3: oh i bet i remember it was uh i think it was 2006 as a tv show for outdoor Network, and i was behind uh, chad kimono and jack hoddenshield in hot laps and we both came well, all three of us came out of about uh, four and we was just standing them up and and those two guys it had such huge willies i could see the number on the top wing and i was like wow oh and God. i was still standing mine up and i could still see them <laughs> it was the coolest thing ever <laughs>
1: that's an experience that that most people don't ever get the opportunity to have i mean when you're standing yours up and you're you're seeing you know the numbers ahead of you that's that's pretty wild
3: yeah it's pretty awesome of course mine wasn't a big wheelie. i just barely had mine <laughs> off the ground those guys they're on the back bumper you <laughs> know what i mean
2: what's uh what's the most exciting thing you've ever done in you know a sprint car you know good or bad you know bad bad flip or just an exciting evening yeah
3: i can give you a couple i mean like you know, the wins are always the most, you know what I mean? Like uh, some of the wins I've had, like like my first race at Lawrenceburg in 2007, and I won, you know, it was, it was like a USAC show. There was 50-some cars there, and you name them, they're all there, and I won that night. And I remember winning one night in Illinois. it's a uh, Flora, Clay County Speedway. And I remember it was a uh, – I was actually using the wall as a side bite in one and two, and that's how close it was. There's no more cushion, but I was able – it's kind of like a – a steel wall I can't even explain it and I was able to use that and kind of make the front end pull up, pull up off the ground you know what I mean and that stuff like that is the uh, it's so rewarding after you get that win because you're you're on the verge of crashing and you get done I was like wow how did I do that the announcer was even asking me and I was like I don't know i just do it you know <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like I had a moment um two years ago it was a bucket outlaw British series race and uh, I had a problem in my heat race is a Eldor Speedway and so I missed it by one. I had to run the B main. And I was running the third. And I was running down the leaders. And it was right up against the fence like normal. And uh, I was just wide open. I am going back straight away. My front axle broke. And the car turned dead right. And it took off flipping. And I end up, I thought I was gonna die. I'm not gonna lie. So I'm laying it upside down, and uh, I hear somebody like, "Moff, you okay, Moff?" I was like, "What the heck is going on?" And I just shut the engine off. It was Chad fluke. He crawled through the little window of the fence, and he thought I was I was hurt, you know. So he's <laughs> checking on me. He got there before the safety crew did. <laughs>
1: that that's the craziest thing I think when you watch watch sprints. And not that you know late models don't have serious wrecks, but when when a sprint goes bad, it's usually multiple times over the top and you're going to bounce around quite a bit because there's there's just nothing there but engine i mean it's just weight
2: late models don't have that huge right rear hanging out that like you said or your guys are bouncing off the walls come out of the corners and you know sometimes that grabs and it turns that front end right into the wall too and then you know it's it's downhill from there
3: it does i've learned by running against the cushion when it gets real sketchy up toward the wall i've learned over the years to you don't try to drive off straight just go ahead and rotate the car keep an angle and the tire stood up so if you do hit it it's not going to knock the front end over and and i see some of you guys you be you run the fence it be in front of you and they keep flirting with it next thing they plow it and, and you're trying to get away so you're not getting involved in a wreck you know it just it's amazing to to study them And you start you're dancing yourself you're like <laughs> when's it going to happen you know what i mean <laughs> and
2: you guys race so close that when one does bicycle or or get end over end i mean you guys have nowhere to go so i mean you you might be doing a fine job and then the next guy is, you know, he's flipping in front of you and, and you get collected because of that.
3: Absolutely. They're just laying on top of you sometimes. I and mean, you you can't go anywhere. I mean, your inertia carries you that same direction. And you, no matter what you try to do, it's only a, uh it's only gravity, right? Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. And a
3: whole lot of money bouncing through here. <laughs> a whole the air. lot of money. You see dollar signs <laughs> flying through here. <laughs> the
1: cash register's just ringing as it goes. Yeah.
3: Start crying like a little baby.
1: <laughs> you know, going back a little bit again, and I know that we, we talked about your family, you know, history with it, but who were some of those big heroes you had growing up, you know, that, that you wanted to mimic when you were able to get out there?
3: Oh, man. Like, the first one I just had to say would be Steve Kinzer. Um I hate to say this, if he's gonna listen, Dave Darlin', Kevin Thomas. Um, I was a big wing guy was earlier, but when I started getting the non-wing when I was a teenager, is like those guys are phenomenal. And like when JJ Yeley come over town, he changed the sport of non-wing sprint car racing, and uh, that guy was the most spectacular I've ever seen. Like he would uh, rotate the car, and you could see the he looked like he's gonna spin out midway down the straightaway, and that's how he entered the corner. And I never seen anything like that, and you still don't to this day, and and stuff like that, just really really excited you and made you want to be that guy you know what I mean? because it made the, the crowd just stand up in the stands and pump their fist and it was cool
2: yeah, yeah. i have to agree with you it's been a long time since i've seen jj drive a sprint car but you are right i mean he was he was turning left before he ever got to the corner you know and and uh you see some guys try to do that now but not like you said j i mean jj was turning. when you're thinking what's he doing you know and he was way set up you know early so
3: Oh yeah, it's like is he going to spin out? No, he's actually making a corner. He just passed a guy too. That's <laughs> incredible.
1: <laughs> so who else? You know who's the? Those were your heroes. Who's your rival? Who do you love? And and not I don't want to bring up like you know bad blood or something like that. But but who's the guy
3: you love to compete against? Oh man, that's a tough one. There, there's so many of them out there. You know, there for a while it was my uh, buddy Matt Westfall. He uh, we we're close. We like to drink a lot of beer together but for some reason no matter where we raced we was always there we were racing for the win or or running for third or even if we was running for ninth it didn't matter We was always both of us Dyson, and we'd race as hard as we could but we never would lay a wheel on each other and there's a couple of guys like when i was younger starting out i idolized brandon petty and i started getting where oh, wow. i can compete against him i mean that guy was so good it's a shame he's not in a sprint car still and there's a there's a couple of them john Mimmer is one of them um now it's probably sean westerfield down at lawrenceburg he uh when i show up he uh he's got his game on and i had to really had to get my cowboy boots on and be ready to fight you know what i mean and it's a, I, I live for that man and also a couple of times there is brady short i had to really challenge with him so there's, there's those guys. It really makes it exciting to go compete against them because you know that you have to be on your game to beat them. And uh, when you do beat those guys, it it makes you feel like King Kong. You don't want to tell me about that, but it does. You know what I mean?
1: Well, yeah, it's sweeter. I mean, you yeah. want to beat the best. I mean, it's again nothing against other guys, but it's when you show up to a local show and nobody else is there that can really run with you. It doesn't mean as much, you know. When when you got Brady and some of those guys there. That's pretty special when you pull it in victory lane. Then
3: oh, it is pretty special. I will have to tell you guys one quick story if you don't mind. Yeah, go a, right ahead. Always one of my one of my most fun races ever, and this is going to be funny to some people or maybe not. It's just funny to me. <laughs> but anyways, uh, Brock Burton, one of my best friends, and you two great, star. Yeah, great, yeah, great talent. I mean, if that guy would race more, was he race six times a year? It's and about he,
2: six times. Yeah, modified. Yeah, he, and he drives UMP modified number two stars. He's, yeah, his and,
3: number, and he wins i mean where he runs top three it just yeah. i'm like brock if you guys would race so he's running a sprint car when his back in uh 2005 i think um it might have no maybe 2006 he uh we were both running in the back of the b main like dead last and we was both sliding each other and crisscrossing and this lasted for the whole 12 laps and I tell you what, I was laughing, and it was like the funnest time of my life. We were both horrible. I think we even got lapped. And that sorry sucker, he pedaled coming out of four and beat me. I was like, dang you, why would you have to do that? You're supposed to stay on the gas. You know what I mean? So,
1: so even then, when you, when you guys weren't good that night, you probably put on a heck of a show at the back of the pack just to watch you guys met, mix it up back there.
2: So.
3: Exactly. I, you
2: know, I'm a, as a fan sometimes the best racing isn't in the front you you watch those guys in the back you know because that that's where you know that's where it's at and you brought up matt westfall i watched him race a late model four times at eldora and that is one guy that can transition from a from a sprint car to a late model because yeah you know I, i knew he raced sprint cars and he rolled out for a heat race over there in that late model and he hauled it into turn one at eldora like you would a sprint car and i was like my gosh this guy means business and uh He's very impressive in about anything he's in. So I bet he was fun to race with.
3: He was. He's a very talented guy. And it's kind of funny. Like, I go play around at Waynesfield, which is one of my favorite racetracks, Waynesfield, Ohio. And it's one of those deals there for a while. It just Matt and I, and maybe like a guy like Luke Hall or uh, Dallas Hewitt, it'd just be us guys. And and Meserol, he'd show up and be select few of us guys. It it wouldn't happen to get real slick in the cushion and get about a foot off the wall. Well, those guys are scared to death of that and i'm like yeah this is my kind of track and they would <laughs> they'll water they spritz it right for the feature and everybody's afraid it's gonna be slimy you know i mean you get up there and you're pulling willies and you're banging it off the fence and and matt and i would always do that we'd be that guy no matter where we start so we'd always end up top three because of that but his biggest deal is he always want to go buy a cheeseburger <laughs> you know, i can't eat for a race it'll you know, make me sick so he's like "Mafia, he let's go get cheeseburgers i don't want to eat because man i tell you what it's gonna be side by I he's gonna beat your ass if i eat the cheeseburger and you know what he would beat me after he eat that cheeseburger <laughs> if it's not broke don't fix it <laughs> that's right <Every> time. <laughs>
1: you know so let's let's talk a little bit about you know kind of this season we've talked about lawrenceburg but you know what what is the goal for this season what's the plan you are going to chase the the season points at lawrenceburg
3: yeah i'm gonna chase the points at lawrenceburg i think i'm gonna miss like one race down there because of the silver crown deal but I'm going to do the full USAC Silver Crown Series minus Phoenix. We're not going to do that. I'm not ready for that. We're going 190 mile an hour there and only have five races on my belt with pavement. Plus, we can't afford it. But E3 Spark Plugs jumped on board again with with that deal. And and thanks to Roger Williams and Orville Wright again for that poor let me uh, be their hired shoe. And we're going to do the whole series, which I think there's only... five dirt races and five pavement races left for us but i'm excited we just put together a new beast car we're gonna go test down at salem this saturday morning before we go run lawrenceburg sprint car show so that's cool hopefully we shake it down i find some speed i was out last year we had no power steering and i didn't realize it i just thought i was just being a little baby i was wearing (laughs) blisters on my hands and it was just horrible i was like a second and a half off the pace every time i hit the track on pavement and i just want to crawl in a hole and like hide you know what i mean
2: me and Dustin might have to show up in Salem Saturday morning then if you're going to be down there, we might just have to have a cool venture into the the speedway there
3: yeah what is that transition like going from dirt to pavement man it, it's it's not as challenging as I thought it would be because we took our pavement our dirt car to IRP um the first night out on pavement in i was like 12th quicker out of the box and i was like this ain't right you know me but then i people started telling me how to drive and i started getting slower because i changed how i was doing my thing but it uh the only thing that's really challenging to me is the fact that you can't touch the throttle i mean like cody swanson he comes down to me and, and cody he's i'm surprised he's not in nascar he should be because that dude is so talented and he's like joss he goes you're gassing it too hard i said i'm only giving like a quarter throttle through the corner he's like no he gives an eighth of the throttle is all you want to give it i'm like wow okay you know so that's the biggest thing is is the finesse part and and not the controlled slide but other than that it's all hand in hand it's the, it's the same you're just going in a circle that's fucking
2: <laughs> you have to remind yourself not to set the car i mean yeah because i mean you've raced dirt for a lot of years now that I know in your mind, you need you feel like you need to set the car for the corner, and when you're on asphalt, you probably have to keep reminding yourself not to set it, don't you?
3: Yes, and like my, the corner entry, to me, is the biggest difference, but center out, it's all the same. It's just like, when it's real slick, you want to try to position the posture of your car as like you are on asphalt, and you go forward, and so it kind of comes in the hand as far as that goes but uh, you know another thing too is challenging to me is i don't have enough pavement experiences it's trying to figure out the lines it's like dirt you can see a cushion you can see like when it's slick you see a patch of moisture you got a diamond down and hit on the exit over here or or right in the middle over there and and asphalt you don't necessarily have that i mean it just looks like you're driving mcdonald's you know what i
2: mean (laughs) (laughs) so so it's obvious you look way forward to the dirt races then you do the asphalt races in the silver crown yeah, car
3: i tell you what man the the miles are so cool like the coin mm, it just yeah. like it's, it's beginning of the night there's a, there's a nice heavy cushion lean on you're going 155 mile an hour and you're just blurping throttle back wide open leaning on it and it's so cool like we showed up at springfield and it's the first time i've been to a mile and i'm watching these other guys i'm in the car and they're hot lapping you know and they're just screaming nine grand down the straightaway and you're going 150 and you're watching that you're like oh my god i think i'm gonna puke you know (laughs) (laughs) i have to go out here and do this crap (laughs) about what kind of speed
2: do you carry into the corner at spring because i mean like you said you're not scuffing much off at all then because those are huge sweeping corners over there
3: yeah it's up it's up about 160 so i mean you're hauling the mail and, and you can really feel it and the thing is though about those cars the tires stand up so much they really float a lot thank you but it's uh, it's pretty awesome, man. I mean, I didn't realize how much I would enjoy the mile. And here's the thing about a mile that people don't understand that never done it. You just see those long, sweepy corners. They're not easy to turn. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, some of these quarter miles you run, it's easier to turn on. And I couldn't believe it. So I'm like, out there rolling around, and we just keep getting tighter. I'm like, man, this thing won't turn on a mile. What's going on here? I can't say a 40-acre field, is it's basically the same thing. But it's pretty wild.
2: I figured they they would be easier to turn because they are so long. Because you know, I've been to Decoy and Ann Springfield, and yeah. I mean, those are beautiful corners over there. So.
3: Yeah, and you would think so until you get on them, and especially when you have a car, you don't have enough stagger, and you have too much left your weight, and all. it just wants to go straight toward the fence. So you have to really throw it sideways and. And you're hanging, you know. So then it grabs a grip, and then it gets tight, and it pushes again, and you bust it loose. You do that five times through the corner. And you're like, man, I'm, I'm wore out, and I'm never boxing. I have <laughs> made it straight away yet. No,
2: I know the the Silver Crown car is longer than your sprint car, and, it, and I'm sure it's also heavier. Do, do you got to do? Do you got to drive the car differently just because of the the length of the car compared to the sprint?
3: Uh, they they drive pretty much about the same. It, it I'll go ahead and put it in per- perspective. It's like the same the Silver Crown car, but people don't know it's a it's a steel block three seventy seven or no excuse me three sixty versus where we have a four ten aluminum, and they push we're pushing an almost eight hundred horsepower with our Silver Crown, and it's a eight inches longer. It's basically the same it's the same manufacturer builds my sprint car but they just build it um from the cockpit four this is a sprint car but cockpit back is eight inches longer and they accommodate the fuel cell which was a 70 gallon tank
2: as i was gonna say yeah the fuel cells are huge on the silver crown cars
3: yeah they're ungodly and yeah. basically so there's a little bit less power and they do weigh another 150 pounds especially when you get a full fuel load they're really a lot heavier but they, uh, they're a little slower reacting, but it's still like driving a sprint car. I mean, like a Terra Hope, there's a little rut you lean on. And I'm telling you what, getting on the right rear is nothing like getting on the right rear in a champ car. <laughs> it really bangs on that thing.
1: So, how much does it
3: change when you're driving as that fuel load
1: changes? I'm, I mean, obviously, you, you get the setup right for it, but throughout the night, you know, in a in a long feature, how much does that change the handling of the car for
3: you? It changes quite a bit. Like beginning of the night when you have full fuel load, you can't just blast it in a corner and then toss it in there because that fuel will really carry you and wants to kinda of try to spin you out. And like when you accelerate up out of the corner, you wouldn't believe how sluggish that thing is. You wouldn't think eight hundred horsepower you put on the floor and it's just bogging and it's like man, this is like this is worse than a little Honda Civic, you know what I mean? <laughs>
1: and i don't think i don't think a lot of fans sitting in the seats understand how much those cars change throughout the night you know i think they and totally understand you guys are wrenching on them constantly trying to get the best setup all night long but you go through a lot of stages throughout the night from hot laps to your heat races to the feature there's a lot of variables there that change
3: oh there is, is you know the silver crown deal is it's amazing it starts out heavy and it's like anything else it'd be like running a fun fest you start out a heavy track then you go qualify it's getting pretty slick then you go out and run your 100 laps your 100 mile race and and it ends up usually laying down rubber and that's something a yeah. guy needs to, to remember and it's hard to it's hard to fathom that really because you have to look at lap you know 30 on and not the first but the thing that confused me about the whole deal this being my last year being rookie year everybody kept telling me and they're talking about old school silver crown days you got to baby them in first half the race then you go for it but these guys they drive so hard dropped a green flag did it left me behind a couple of nights so i had to really focus on driving hard and they're not easy to drive it's just like driving a sprint car for 100 miles it's it you get so tired and you just feel like you want to peak when you get done
2: well the, the old school days though you guys didn't i mean you guys have adjustable shocks in all four corners now right i mean right. in the old days you set the shocks, and you rolled out, and you just had what you, you know, whatever you had is what you raced with. But now, as the car changes, you can adjust the shocks with the car, right?
3: Yeah, you can adjust them on the fly, which is nice. And the straight wasn't long enough. You had plenty of time to reach after and put a couple of clicks in it. And and we had radio communications, so you can talk to your spotter and your crew guys, and you can kind of figure out what you need to do there, too.
2: Did it take you a while to learn the adjustable shocks?
3: Um, no, because uh, I've had them on my sprint car since 2008, so... It's the same shock package I run. Um they just changed the valving just a tad bit for the, to compensate for the heavy car. But it, uh there's this one night in my sprint car we was running the King of Indiana Sprint Series race and Chris win Renum Winneman I he started eighth and I started tenth. I remember this like it's yesterday. <laughs> and he made it the third and I made it the fifth and it was about eight laps to go. And we had a yellow flag. And I'm gassing it up trying to keep heat in my tires. I pull up next to him. He's gassing it. And he's adjusting on his knobs. This is where I bought my adjustable shocks. And I was like, well, that's sorry sucker. So he ended up going on and winning the race. And I ended up running third. But I couldn't keep up with him after that. And I called uh, uh, Scott Benick the next day. And I said, hey, man, I need some shocks. You know, I, mean? <laughs> <laughs> I figured out why I couldn't run with them. <laughs> right, exactly. It's amazing,
2: though, how much, you know, Justin, those shocks do help, you know, the guys. And, you oh, know. it's
3: huge. Like, there was a night one time where I start on a front row, and now my car was horrible, and I backed up to six. This is at Lawrenceburg. This is probably 2010. And I remember John Memory got the lead, and there's a nice big gnarly cushion. And I just dropped him like a, you know, a lead weight and i was like i gotta do something so i started twisting around my shocks and i ended up running back up the second ran him down and ran out of time but it changed my car 100 percent. i just changed the the compression on my right rear and just tied my left front down a little more and messed my left rear a little bit and that thing just took <laughs> off and you wouldn't believe that you know a couple of clicks here and here a and couple of clicks there makes that much of a difference but it does
2: i used to you know and i used to hear because you know back in the day before you had the adjustable shocks you had to buy every different shock you know and the guys would you know, take a shock off and put a shock on them, like you know you're really making that no much difference but now the world of the adjustable shocks, shocks it's amazing it is, you know, it is how amazing. much one or two clicks will do
3: yeah that's the thing too about adjustable shocks is people get a wrong idea about it because these gas shocks are expensive but thing is you only have to buy four of them instead of buying you know 12 shocks to get the same effect so you're actually going to spend more money if you buy the you know the other way around
2: oh yeah
1: <laughs> i'll go ahead <laughs> i was waiting a little bit uh one thing that we've kind of talked about Josh, as we've as we've uh kind of started this podcast is the idea of increasing you know race attendance and it's and you you've shown that you know you're passionate about dirt track racing um you love seeing a good show you talked about you know even the late model side and things what in your opinion is the how do we get those fans back on on, on to these tracks on Saturday nights?
3: Man, there's too much entertainment to mess with, you know. Like between stupid things like you know, internet and video games. I'm I was grew up with that stuff, but you look at these kids these days; they just need to go out there and, and watch a race, and parents need to take them because every person that I know that's taking their kid out. They're like, wow! This is so exciting. It's so much better than staying at home, and that's the problem with today's society. There's not enough of that, and it's getting away from that. And like NASCAR, I don't understand why they're doing some of these Saturday night races and stuff, where these people need to be at a short track. And but the major problem with it is too is the fact that it costs so much money for a family to go. I mean, you take, you have a wife. And you take two kids you're gonna spend what 80 bucks probably or not more you're to go get cotton candy hot dogs cheeseburgers coke you know and so it just costs too much money and it just i would really like to see more entertainment during throughout the night like orville my co-owner he, he has an idea he's wanting to do a deal where of course he can afford to do this he's wanting to buy a bunch of shirts okay and and raffle them off so basically you're gonna sell a shirt for 20 bucks and it has a you know, a number on it, and he still might end up pulling this off, and it's gonna be like the Joss Moffat fan club, basically. So if if you if he rolls this number out of the 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 cage, the ball cage, and you have a number five on your end of your sleeve, then you're gonna get a hundred bucks for that night. And if I win that feature, and he you got that number, you're gonna get five hundred bucks. That's
2: pretty cool. But yeah. Like I said, you know. You, the average the average guy at a racetrack can't you know can't do that you know like if you didn't have him you couldn't do that with your shirts i mean that's a good way to get you know you you know you know me i'm i'm addicted to race shirts you know I, mm-hmm. that's about all i wear and uh but you know for a guy to just give shirts out like that i know it's it's really hard
3: it is hard and it just stuff like that would get people more in tune and somebody wouldn't have to give a hundred bucks if you just gave out let's say you got costing shirts you get 300 shirts made and you got ten dollars a piece in them okay let's sell them for Sell them for ten dollars a piece. Don't make your money on your shirt. At least you get your money back. Then, what you do is you take money out of your winnings. Let's say uh, if you have that shirt on, and we'll roll the dice. You know, what I mean, you get that number on that shirt, then you get twenty dollars out of my my prize winnings. What a guy wouldn't he could afford that? And but you would get more people over there in the stands, and you can buy more shirts. Then you can probably start selling them for twelve dollars a piece. And, and you know, there's some guys out there who probably buy a bunch of shirts that sit on them forever. But if you if you get a, a game like that going get more people in tune and they'd be willing to to buy your shirt you actually probably end up making money down the road and you end up bringing their family members say hey we're we have a chance to win money and have entertainment and so i think, it, I think his idea is a really cool idea it's just about incorporating with into the racetrack so it doesn't take time out of your hands so you're not one calling the name and and you got to have people selling the shirts which is a problem too but i mean it's just if if we as the racers can get fans more involved with us too i think that would help and you never know maybe a little clown on a motorcycle riding down <laughs> a straightaway and, <laughs> and you, you know you brought that good point
2: up because when we try to do extra things at a racetrack like you said you know me as an announcer i i have to start taking time out and then the the action on the track has stopped and then the people that may be not interested in that are complaining that there's not racing again and that's the hard balancing take. balancing act you have right there is you know a lot of people don't want none of that extra stuff they don't want to, just want to watch the racing and go on and then you know it seems like this the the newer fans they like all that extra you know so you got to kind of balance the old school guys with with the new school and you know find that that good medium there because i know we do kids night about three times a year at brownstown and the old dedicated guys that's been there since the 70s they complain the whole time because we you know we go out on the front stretch and and we do bicycle races, or we do a tire roll race, or we do something with the kids, and they're complaining the whole time. They just want to bring the race cars back out. But
3: Yeah, but I think that's a great idea, what you're doing there. Because, I mean, let's face it, you know, the kids are our future generation of the sport. If, it, if the kids aren't around, we're not going to have late-mile sprint car racing, and that makes me sad to think about that.
1: Well, and another thing I think that, you know, when it comes to that, too, on just a regular show— It's tough for the track to know what the track is actually going to be like. Some nights you got to work the track constantly, you know. And and as you know, those track guys and and crew are constantly trying to get the track to come in. Well, those nights are the nights you really need some of that filler entertainment because you know that's the part when it's tough. Nobody likes to watch the water truck race around the track. No offense to any water truck drivers out there, but that's not what the excitement brings. But then there's other nights the track's pretty good that. You wouldn't need all that time built in. So it is, it is a tough balancing act. But I think, too, what you guys are talking about with the T-shirts, and that's something that everybody we've kind of talked to in this podcast so far is, has talked about, is creating a connection with a driver. You know, when you grow up and, and you've talked about some of your heroes, and I know Matt in previous podcasts and myself have talked about ours— when you feel a connection with a driver, that's what that's what gets you to go to Saturday night. Mm-hmm. I want to go watch that guy wheel the car.
3: Absolutely. And,
1: and that's what drives you back every Saturday. So I think that's a great idea from from a fan's perspective, you guys as drivers trying to incorporate more and, and build a fan club, and because that's going to make me want to drive to Lawrenceburg on Saturday night to watch you race again. Yeah. I would love to see the drivers get to the racetrack just a little earlier,
2: and we could bring them up. You know, like at brown sound behind the grandstands for autograph sessions or just a meet and greet with the fans because I know when I was a kid, you know, you after the races we went to the pits and everything to see the drivers and that was a big deal to see them out of the car and what they really look like. Mm-hmm. You know, you know when when I was a kid, it's like what's this guy look like? You know, and and it made a connection with me. And I wish we could make the drivers more accessible because even you know you're just your local guy that races you know at a local track every Saturday he's a celebrity to somebody. You know, in them grandstands, they would probably love to spend a minute or two with them and talk to them. So.
3: I think that's a great idea because as soon as you get the fans and know somebody, that gives them more of a reason to go. Because let's face it, racing, dirt racing, is nothing better than that in my opinion. But when you go to a racetrack, let's say you're out of time, you show up at a late mile show or a sprint car show, whatever you want to go watch, and you don't know a single person, you never heard of these people, it's not going to be nearly as exciting to you. That's exactly right. And as soon as you know, hey, I know that guy. My dad's buddies with him, or I work with that guy, or whatever. And then you have incentive to go. It's like, man, he's he got somebody rude on. It's like watching your favorite football player. Mm-hmm. And it's like uh, for me, I'm always a huge uh, Peyton Manning fan, and when he retired, it hasn't been the same for me. You know what I mean? Right. So that's just it gives you a reason to go when you you when you get a connection with somebody and. and it's like, man, I'm gonna really cheer for that guy, then it gives you it gives you passion. When you have passion, it gives you excitement. Without passion, there's no excitement.
2: But I'm sure you as a driver, you enjoy it when you know there's somebody in the stands that's rooting for you that is a fan of yours that, that isn't family. You know, of course family's gonna be a fan of you, but you know, when you know, you get a guy that just comes to the races and has watched you race and starts rooting for you and buys your T shirt. Absolutely. You know, it, that makes you feel like, well, I'm doing the right thing because this, this guy is enjoy watching me.
3: It does. You know, I've met some cool people, too. Most people, I don't know how it is down at Brownstown because I don't race there very often, but most people, as soon as the races are over, they're loaded up and leaving, and I don't understand that. I'm usually one of the last people to leave, and you wouldn't believe how many cool people I meet that are just fans. They won't come down and, and have a beer with you and just shake your hand and put their kids in a race car, and you... That moment right there, that's it's more than anything throughout the night to me is watching like these people, they get so excited when they get to meet and just be able to talk to me because let's face it, it it's kind of funny for me how it feels because I've always been that, I don't feel like I'm a little mini's like local celebrity, but they look at you as a celebrity, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? So you have to look at it in their perspective and, and it makes me excited to know that they look at me as somebody more than just your normal guy, which I'm not, but it makes you feel good to realize that you made their day by giving them time. And, you know, back
2: when I was in, in my twenties and, and just a race fan and, you know, I'd walk through the pits and everything. And, you know, you'd say hi to a guy that you watch race all night, or you looked up to as a race car driver. And if they would take, like I said, it don't have to be, you know, all night, but two or three minutes just to talk about the night and let you give them input back. I always, the next weekend, I couldn't wait to watch that guy again because he took two minutes out of his, his evening. Like you said, I liked it when they left the cars unloaded, you know and they made it welcoming after the fact you know for for everybody there
3: yeah it just makes you feel good you know because i remember being that way when i was a kid like like danny smith one of my another one of my heroes he uh i'll go up there and try to get a t-shirt off of him and he said give me a cigarette and five bucks you know what i mean that was meant the world to me and Mm -hmm. he was just like another one of my idols and and just people like him and like Dale Blaney, Blaney spent some time one evening on the back of a trailer when I was 13 and talked to me, so I became a lifelong fan of his. And it just people don't understand that they're people too, but they do have time, you know what I mean? So as us racers, we need to try to spend time to entertain these people and try to be their friends instead of just try to be that guy that just wants to go race and don't, don't bother me. I got to go home, you know?
1: And that's the unique thing about the racing world is you have that connection with these people because just like you just said I can't go to the Colts game and then afterwards walk down and you know hang out outside the locker room and Peyton come out and talk to me and me have that conversation with him and you can have that connection in the racing world you know if you if you're willing to go out and talk to these guys and you know most every driver is very open and and willing to do that and I think that's awesome that you do the same because anybody who listens to this and I know Matt and I have had a couple of people already come up to us and say, Hey man, I'm listening to your podcast and I've never been to the races, but it makes me want to get out and race. That's the most unique thing about the racetrack is you get the opportunity to walk up and talk to the guys that you just watch go go to battle for, you know, an hour. That's- but I, I think that's where NASCAR has missed the boat because mm-hmm. they
2: are not accessible to their fans. You know, I know, like maybe at, you know, at uh, Charlotte and Talladega, you know some some drivers kind of run the you know go to the infield camping a little bit, and they're they're here and there. And I know, uh, you know, Ryan Blaney and uh, Daryl Wallace Jr. They they are two drivers that are making a difference because they go out and find fans, and people need to take notice of that because they haven't forgot when they were short track drivers somewhere, and the fans. Even that's why they are where they're at because fans put them there and uh you know that's why i'm glad you do it and you know I, I i guess me and you didn't realize how much advantage we had of the drivers we had just hung out with oh man you know <laughs> we'd go to a, a race shop somewhere and you know i know when you was young you with your dad and there'd be four or five drivers there and you're like holy cow you know it's uh
3: that's the thing is like i i knew a lot of these guys that were my heroes and they they knew me so it made it a little different but it, it's just you're right about that and i mean i look back it's like how in the heck did I fall in this little hole that it, and I get to know all these spectacular racers that I mean a lot of the world don't know because they're local guys or they they race national level but they're not NASCAR but but still to me is like these guys are phenomenal race car drivers it could have been the best in NASCAR if they had an opportunity and then like you hit it on the nail on the head with NASCAR it, it's unfortunate and you can see you look in the grandstands every Sunday there's not very people no. not like it used to be no
1: well, and I think it's begun – we kind of talked about this last time, too. You you just said if these guys would get an opportunity in NASCAR. But the problem is, you know, these corporate sponsors want the guy with the look, that talks the right way, that, you know, kind of the old school, you know, I wrench my car, I, I come from the dirt tracks. That's not what NASCAR is looking for anymore. And, and, it's, and it's too bad because 20, 30 years ago when those guys were in NASCAR – that's when it was exciting that's when it had some of that competitive dirt track feel so that's the other thing to anybody listening you may think these are just local guys but especially we're blessed in the state of indiana and and ohio and illinois and kentucky right here you know with dirt track racing because some of the best in the united states race here every saturday night and and there's an exciting group to do it
3: oh absolutely i mean every class at the racetrack there's so much talent all throughout if you just go like some of the best races you see are like the modified races and super stocks and it's like did you see that slider that guy put on that move that was incredible that guy needs a chance you know what I mean just then and some of these guys don't have the equipment and they still get their elbows up and and they win these races you know and the guys you never hear of and and like some of these guys I race against sometimes I go to different track and I never seen this guy's picture on the internet never heard this guy's name and and he'll outrun you in a heat race. He's like who in the heck is this guy? Oh, you know, yeah. and he's out there <laughs> wheeling the crap him, and he still beat me. You know. And it, you you mentioned that a lot of the guys that don't have the money for for the best
2: equipment, but they'll they'll make you run for your money. And uh, you know, they have figured out how to do all they can do with what they have. And and to me, that's what grassroots racing is all about. You know, when you show up,
3: mm-hmm. absolutely. And,
2: you know, and around here, like Dustin said, we have the best drivers I think in the United States. And you know these you know four or five states right here that i would put up against anybody else on a dirt track anywhere
3: i agree 100 percent with you there it's like there for a while i was uh, racing with kyle larson quite a bit and i remember racing with him and he, i just had to drive so hard and he knew he understood angles more than anybody ever seen in my life like he would use for instance i was running second one night at lawrenceburg and i think it was during midget week and I'm not sure if he had a midget ride that night. He surely he was running Keith Coons, but he was trying to pass me. And I, I would get him down the straightaway and on the front stretch and enter one and two. Then he would arc out down a back stretch and he'd drive across my nose and he'd get his left front down the infield in three and four because that's where he had to be on the next to the tires. He did this for 20 laps, and I was like, I've never seen anybody do this before until you made it dirty enough. The leader and I, we were slipping and sliding, and, and I, I can't remember if he won the race or not, but he was able to get around me because he did that. Nobody else I've ever seen do that, and that's when I realized that this dude is going to go to NASCAR because he used his brain while he was racing. He couldn't pass me because he wanted that groove track, so he overdrove the car, ran it, arced it so he could get it down the infield, sling dirt up in the, in the groove, and he just wasted 20 laps until he made it dirty enough for him to get the momentum. And go around me, and I was like, "Wow, that's just." I thought I thought it was pretty cool. I was going to have you explain
2: the term "dirty," and I'm glad you went back and told that. Is you know a lot of people listen to maybe haven't been to dirt track, and that's what it is. They sling the dirt up onto the groove.
3: Yeah, it's like loose marbles yeah. is what it is. Yeah, so uh, it's pretty impressive.
1: He is, you know, and 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 I'm still a NASCAR fan, not as much as what I have been, but he's one of the reasons why I hold on as much as I do because he's as exciting to watch on Sunday as, as, as anybody. I mean, to see a young guy like Larson, he races the same way there. And that's what I love about him. There is no laying back. There is no waiting. If there's a gap, he's going to take it. If they, if everybody else is running the bottom, he's going to see if the high side will go. If everybody's on the high side, he's going, even though he loves the high side, he's going to try and get down below. and, And he's always trying to figure out something different to give him advantage, so that's
3: right. You can tell he ruffles some feathers in that NASCAR oh, yeah. deal because he's one of those guys. He's always pouncing. He never gives up. And a driver sometimes mentally can't handle that. You know what I mean? Because I'm I'm faster than him, but he's finding a way to keep sticking it in there, and and so eventually you're going to crack. And Larson knows how to make you do that. and That guy is just spectacular, man. And he's actually a very humble guy. I've talked to him a couple of times, but it's pretty cool to see him kick butt in nascar too
1: and i love that he still comes back to the dirt tracks again that's that's probably the coolest thing and i know he i i'm sure that if he ever got the chance he would he'd love to be there more than what he can be but he still takes his opportunities to jump back in and be back at dirt tracks when he can
3: oh yeah and he's phenomenal at it too
1: oh that's i'll take my hat off to Clint boyer on that one too because Mm -hmm. you know he
2: owns two two late models and uh you know when he won monday he, that's what he said is my dirt boys had a good weekend too and, and I that really impressed me. He's in Victory Lane. The first thing he did was think he's two late model guys. You know, was they had a good weekend and so I, you know he is giving back to the grassroots too. He's one that's making some money in NASCAR but giving it back and, and you know s- uh, supporting two dirt late models. So
3: which is awesome. It shows you where his heart's at. You know what I mean.
2: And he I, I watched an interview where he was in, he asked why he don't get in him when he goes and watches them. He's like that's their job. You know, he's like I don't want to knock them out of a seat just so i can go play he's like you know they're making a living out of that and so i gotta give him credit there you know he goes and watches and is a good car owner but uh
1: you know he lets his drivers drive
3: i respect that that's so cool
1: yeah and and i can't imagine you know when again talking about about heroes and and having that opportunity you know when you see these guys come back to the tracks when you have a car owner that's so involved like like boyer is you know, it's it's got to be exciting as drivers to know these guys have your back, um, you know, that even though they made it to that level, that they still are able to uh, give back a little bit, you know, and, and that's one, you know, that Boyer has kind of had an up and down career, but he's definitely on the upswing now. Um, I think he's one of the hot starts that's going to be in NASCAR for a long time,
3: but It's cool to see him
1: remember where he came from. You going to make it over the No Way
2: Out on April 16th?
3: I don't know. I would love to. That's on a Friday night, isn't it?
2: No, it's going to be a Saturday now. So I I didn't know if Lawrenceburg was racing that or not. If
3: they're not racing, I'll be there, but Uncle O. (laughs) (laughs) What about uh, Sprint Week? I mean, I would love to. I'll I'll have to do that. Sprint Week is so cool. I I want to... uh, one of these days maybe next year i'll get orville to help back me and maybe i can find some sponsors if anybody's listening wants to help me out somewhere i would like to run the full sprint week program one time i think that'd be really cool to do
2: that's actually a bucket list for me as a fan is to go every night i've been i've made three of the nights but i've not made it to Every night during Sprint Week, so I, you know, I'm, I am a late model fan, but I would love to go to uh, Indiana Sprint Week and go to every night of the show. So that, that'd well, be very let, fun.
1: Let's just go ahead and throw it out there. I mean, with the podcast, I think that I think that may be a necessity that we we find a way to try and make as many as possible that week. So oh,
2: I, any excuse we got to make to go, I'm all for it. You know, you guys know me; I'm a race fan. So let's. Uh, you know, if that's what we got to use to go, we'll do it. But that I've never made – it always something comes up, and I miss it, you know, a night or two every year, it seems like. So I, I never can go to every one of them.
3: Well, I'll be honest with you. I'm still a race fan, too. So if you guys need to help travel up down the road for that, it's easier <laughs> to go watching than it is going to actually get your race car ready and financially do it. So I'm game to go every race, too. We'll, we, we'll that, definitely get a hold of you, man. The yeah. more the
1: merrier on that. That's perfect because, you know, Matt knows – I. kind of my selfish reason for starting this podcast with Matt was I. I've told my wife that – this just means I have to be at the racetrack on the weekend because I have to know what I'm going to talk about the next week. So, she's she's bought into that for the time being. But I I just tell her, hey, it's it's got to happen because if not, I won't know what to say the next week. So
3: it yeah. sounds legit to me. Yeah, that, that's
1: that's why I told her, I was like you know, Matt's got to be at Brownstown every Saturday because he
2: you know he announces there. So you know I, I got to go to the races too.
3: <laughs> I love it. You yeah. you know we have we're pretty fortunate with our wives. You know. It, uh, I have a wife that, uh, she's pretty awesome because she pays, uh, 60% of the bills, probably more like 70, just so I can go play in the dirt, and, and I feel like a jerk because of, but you know, I'm not gonna do this a whole lot longer because I'm approaching 40, and it's one of those deals where, you, how much longer can I afford to do it, and how much longer I wanna put myself through this punishment, it's eventually gonna be time when I become, like, a, a wrench, or, and just be, like, a fan again, but I'm gonna enjoy it while it lasts, and, I love my wife for letting me do it, and I mean, that's pretty awesome to have a, a supporter like that, and you know, I try to quit a couple of times, I've uh, had some concussions, and and broke the bank a couple of times, you know, and I'm like, I'm down and out, and you know, you go stretch where you struggle, and you know, you you have those times where you win, and you you kick butt all the time, you're top five, no matter what you do, and you go, where you struggle, you can't even freaking, you can't even sniff top five, and you don't understand, it's like, I didn't do nothing different, and those are the times that are very challenging, and uh, troublesome to you in your mind and it beats you up so bad and you know I've threatened to quit it's like I don't think I can do this no more and she's like no you're gonna still race otherwise you're gonna be that little mopey little brat and <laughs> laying around <laughs> on the couch crying <laughs> so well and I'll be honest I'm glad you brought that up because it's so true I
1: coached for a long time coached football and and I don't think sometimes people realize that when things don't go right it's it's the spouse that has to deal with it when we come home and and my wife always used to laugh and say when she knew a friday night went bad she just left me alone Till i spoke to her she wasn't going to mess with me and and that's kind of the same thing with this little gig that we got started here with the podcast you know when i came to her i said i got this crazy idea but i said i need a hobby i'm not in coaching anymore i'm bored to death i said i need something i said i'm gonna do this podcast and a lot of people's wives would have said that's silly there's no way you're going to do this and my wife said yeah let's do it let's jump on and my wife and I do one together and and a whole different show but so it's 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 amazing when you've got that partner in crime that will just absolutely support you no matter what no matter how crazy it is or how other people look at it and think really I would never do that but that's awesome and and I don't think enough people know what they go through for some of the crazy things that that we want to do.
3: Oh yeah, I'll be honest with you, our spouses are the true champions in, in racing, because I mean, you face it, the financial burden, they're, they're not the ones having fun, you know, they're just watching the money go out the bank, and and watching us struggle, you know, in life, because it, it, racing is so stressful, but I mean, I, I wouldn't change it for anything in the world, you know what I mean, I don't care about the money, or it's, it's the memories and the people I've met, and all the friendships, like, like this right here, it's like, getting to hang out with you guys if it wasn't for racing though i mean I, i'm enjoying myself guys to be honest with you and it's just it's there's so much to racing that makes it your life and they have to be willing to accept that and let you do it and i really appreciate all the wives out there for doing what they do and sometimes there's women out there that are awesome race car drivers Absolutely. and that, <laughs> the shoes on the other foot oh, and mad yeah. respect to them too and if, if you have to have people and family and friends and and it's not just about a driver like fans look at us the drivers and they think it's just us and there's no maintenance but there's so much there's so many nights i mean we all work 40 to 60 hours a week you know a full-time job then you work 20 hours a week you know on race car and right now i'm stretched out because i'm helping on the our silver crown car we got a pavement car dirt car and, and then i have my sprint car and plus we have a house we're working on so i mean i haven't had a day off much in like last year and a half, so it it's very challenging. You know, you lose you lose that sense of life because that's all it is is racing and and working. You're sore, they you get up and you you get cranky, and they have to deal with that. And and uh, I really appreciate the the for people out there willing to put up with that. You know,
2: and you you know you you touch on the wives, but when you get home from a bad night of racing, you don't mean for it to, but they catch. Your grief, yeah. you know, they do, you know, because they're they're the one you're the most familiar with, so you're going to vent to them. But you know, on on the good side of that, I guess when you have a great night, they catch that also, you know, because you want to celebrate with them. But it, and I'm glad you brought that up because if it wasn't for our our spouses and our families, we would have. I mean, I couldn't go work at the racetrack every Saturday night. You know, Dustin couldn't do this, and you couldn't race. I mean, and you are right. That gets forgot a lot is the the people behind the scenes that make everything happen for that that one night a week of racing
3: it is a, this snowball effect man and, and people just don't understand it i don't know if it's like tunnel vision or what but there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that it even like uh sponsors you know what i mean you had to have a guy willing to they say the tax write off but it's only a small percentage you still got to be willing to give joe you know, a couple grand to go racing on just so they can go drink a beer and sit in the grandstands and say, Hey, my name is on that race oh, car. Yeah. So, Absolutely. I mean, it's just, there's everybody out there that, that people don't realize. It's just a big, uh, it's a big puzzle and you're just a small piece is all it is.
1: Well, and the other thing I want to throw out there, and again, you know, one thing we hoped with this is that some people would listen and, and come to the racetrack that, that maybe never have. And what you just said, when we talk about the passion of race drivers, of race families, of teams, right there it was. You know, this isn't NASCAR. This isn't the NBA. It's not the NFL. And and no disrespect meant to you, you're not coming home with multi-millions of dollars and, and taking an off-season off. You're you're working a job. And I, and I had a good buddy that raced for a long time that used to laugh and say, I don't know how I can be a hero on Saturday night and, and you know, bottom of the barrel on Monday morning. But that was his gig you know he he had to work his tail off to be able to do it and and so the same way that dedication that you have to this sport man if you're looking for something to go do on a saturday night as a family go check you guys out because it's not you don't just get up on saturday morning and load everything up and head over like you're going to the lake you know to tube or, or fish all day it's seven days a week you guys are wrenching on those cars and getting them ready and and making sure you can put on the best show and there's nothing else in the world where guys care as much about what they do as what you guys do through the week
3: that's true and people wonder why you know there's fights during the racing like because <laughs> of a bad slider or something like that well you have to think about it i've worked my butt off all week oh, yeah. and you just fed me a wheel it's not about the money it's the fact that i worked my butt off to get here and i look forward to this all week and you just took me out and that's why you have fights and you have to think about that when you're out there trying to feed a guy a wheel too he's the same as you you are we're both Mm -hmm. trying to we're both trying to win you got to have respect and fans i hope are willing like new fans if they're listening to this i really hope you guys want to come out and check us out because local dirt track racing there's so much passion and you can feel it in the air so much excitement cars sliding around it's, it's something in the smell and the noise. Oh yeah, it's something. Once you hear it and see it, you're going to be addicted. and You're going to be like, man, what have I missing all my life? You know.
2: But you you mentioned that the fights on a Saturday night, but there's also a sense of family in the pits with your your fellow drivers. Also, for the simple fact, if if you break something and they have something, they won't hesitate to let you take it and and race that. And you're going to compete against them. it's True. But I mean, you know, you get mad at each other, which is just like family. You're going to get mad and fight. But then if they need something, you're right there for them also. And, and that sense of family in the pit area is absolutely amazing to, to watch that also.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have I flipped the whole length of the back straightaway at Lawrenceburg one night. And one of my biggest rivals and uh, worst enemies, I, went, I mean, like off the racetrack we're not enemies, but on the racetrack we are, he went out of his way and, and let me borrow some equipment to get the car loaded and say if you need anything for next week. I mean – that just shows you how much of a family we are even though we don't talk to each other we don't necessarily like each other because how we race against each other but we're all we're always there for each other when we need to help because we want to see each other strive and plus you know the rivalry kind of gets your blood going too it gives you another purpose to to be there and sometimes i think god actually makes it that way you know what i mean (laughs)
2: but that also makes the fans they're going to come back next week because you know if you and him have an issue yeah well, what's going to happen next week so they're going to come back just to see that rivalry so you know you take one piece out of there you know the entertainment on the track isn't going to be the same
3: that's very true it's very true
1: well and and it goes back to what you said earlier too getting to race against some of these guys he doesn't want you not to show up next week because you didn't have a part if you're going to win it I want to win it with you on the track you know I I want I want to be able to walk through through pit road and say, "Hey, I did this. You know, you were here. You were at your full strength. You had it, but I had the better car tonight, or I made the better move." So, I think it's important too that you know that that sense of family. You guys really want everybody on the track. That's that's the best competition you can see.
3: Oh, absolutely! I, I won a race one time in Illinois where there was only about sixteen cars there, and I showed up after we unloaded. There's only like maybe one or two other guys I had to beat, but they weren't I'm not saying I'm good but they were about my level or not as good so I, I was like I have to win this race and I won and it wasn't gratifying to me It's like running over here where there's each time I show up there's 20 other guys that can kick my butt any minute and you know that makes that gives you a fire in your belly and that's what makes you excited and that guy like we were just talking about the rival I mean when you beat that guy, that's what makes it that's what makes you come back. It. you don't want it easy. You don't want it to be like racing a bunch against a bunch of amateurs. I mean, what fun is that? You know what I mean? Right. Well
1: and, and you know, the other thing there too is, you know, it became an expectation for you. I have to win this race. I'm yeah. gonna be you're gonna be mad, disappointed if you don't. You can go to race at Lawrenceburg against some of these guys and, and you may know coming in after a feature that, hey man, I finished third and That was everything my car had. That was everything I had because those two guys were just – they had me tonight. So now I'm going to go home, and I'm going to wrench, and I'm going to figure out what I need to do to make sure I run with them up front next week. So,
3: Oh, yeah. There's been many nights even at Lawrenceburg. I've unloaded on a local show, and there's been a handful of USAC guys show up. I'm like, man, if I run seventh tonight, I'm doing good. And I end up running fifth. I'm like, man, that's like winning the race. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Who's the
2: one guy that you haven't raced against yet that you would love to – to race wheel to wheel with
3: man tony stewart because i grew <laughs> up with him because uh his nickname for me is pick it's not because i pick my nose it's a little <laughs> bit true but not really i've always played guitar so he always called me pick but tony stewart you know he's one of my heroes and that guy's phenomenal and my dad's always painted for him and we haven't seen him much in the last 10 years because he's gone on nascar land but I love that guy, and people get the wrong image of him. Just for you people out there, huge Stewart fans, or people who are not, I'm going to put it in perspective how he is. And he explained it to me one night when we were drinking beer together. Sounds like I drink a lot of beer, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> But, anyways, he's like, he's like, moth. He goes, the problem I have is, like, I'll go to Steak and Shake, for instance, or Applebee's. He likes to eat Applebee's a lot. Or some of these other places, and. Right in the middle of my dinner people want to come up And get their picture take time job. I'm I'm never off work When that happens Hey I'd rather you just come up to me and say Hey man you're, you're Tony Stewart Shake my hand and that's all And he goes I get a little rude And say I won't sign your t-shirt Or give you an autograph for your little boy Bobby Or whatever And it makes people get a bad image about him And people need to understand He's human like us too yeah. But he has a big heart great personality great sense of humor and probably one of the best race car drivers i've ever seen and i want to race with him wheel to wheel in a sprint car or a late model he'll kick my butt in late models. he's done a lot but i'll try it <laughs> he uh
2: i mean he does good things for the sport and uh and he, he's another one who tries to give it back to the community you know columbus indiana he you know he shows up whenever he can you know my buddy nick megal owns a tq midget and when his son raced the Columbus Fair race in the TQ, Tony Stewart lined up in TQ outside of him there, you know. So, it's like, you know, Tony had a night off,
3: so he showed up at, at Columbus Fair to race. And that made that guy's not, I guarantee it. Oh, that, yeah. yeah. It's like, well, that's my hero. It's like, I'm going to put another race in perspective. Like, when I came to that situation, as an outlaw show I ran at a Kokomo Speedway one year. I think it was 2006. And we was rolling around there for hot laps, and I had Sammy Swindell, Steve (laughs) Kander, Jack Hottenshield, and a couple, and Tyler Walker, and those guys are out there. And I'm going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Before we took the green flag, I literally had tears rolling down my cheek because it was, I was like, wow, this is so cool. I'm on the same racetrack in a sprint car with the best in the history of sprint car racing. Well, and that's, you know, and
1: going back, I grew up south of Bloomington, and and love going there and watching watching the sprint cars on you know Friday nights but when the world of outlaws would come in there and you get to see Kenzer and Sammy Swindell and you know these guys hit that track there was a magic there like nothing else because this was going to be special and i remember my dad and i laughed one time there was there was one year it was probably 97 or 98 and I think it stormed and rained them out two or three times and we would sit there and we'd go to the truck and we'd sit out in the truck and dad would say, you ready to go home? And I'd say, no, and they may still run. And and then they, they, they'd come back out and start working on track. And, you know, it was just, I did not want to be that kid at, you know, at that point, 12 or 13 years old that said, yeah, let's go home. I'm good. And then find out they somehow got it in and, and, until they turned the lights off, I wasn't leaving because I wanted to see those guys on that track.
3: Oh, absolutely. I think Dave Blaney won that night. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that takes me back to a night at Brownstown that uh
2: it rained and and we did like you said, we sat in the truck and we waited and we waited, and they thought they was going to try, so they was out trying to wheel pack you know get the track in and I remember they made an announcement you know over the intercom that if you were willing to drive your vehicle out. To help wheel pack, (laughs) they they would appreciate it because, you know, they realized they didn't have enough track vehicles to get it, you know, get it ran in as quick as they wanted to. And uh, I was 20 or 21 years old and had a Chevy four-wheel drive. And I remember my brother was with me looking at my brother. and was like, let's, you know, we'd lock it in four-wheel drive and we go out and, and I'm wheel packing Brownstown Speedway. And I'll tell you what, you know, I've never been a driver, but that was like oh. exciting to
1: me that I got the wheel pack at Brownstown.
2: Absolutely. You know? yeah. <laughs>
1: That's exhilarating,
3: man. <laughs> no, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> That's
1: what, my dad when we first moved to Indiana dug a pond and same thing needed to pack it. And I can remember, you know, being a young kid, I get out there in his truck because that was the he was gonna let me drive at ten years old and drive around that pond. To me, that was like I was at the racetrack. There was nobody else out there, but I had a vehicle, I had a lot of dirt, and this was my one chance I was going to get a drive. I didn't pack the middle as well as what he probably wanted it, but the outside edges were really, really good.
3: I, uh, I got laid off in 2008 for about a, a couple weeks. It wasn't very long, and I was like, Dave Rudis, I, I need something to do. She's like, come down and help me work at the racetrack. He goes, I'll pay you. He, he actually gave me $150. Hey, I think he felt sorry for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I go out there, and he gets tells me he has like a 1994 Chevy pickup truck short bed, you know what I mean? <laughs> so he's like, hey, we have to run the track backwards. Yeah. This is on a Wednesday night, and this is no joke. I mean, people don't think he does, but he works on that track almost every night of the week. He's impressive. But he's like, I need you. I'll be on the tractor, and he actually let me till a track with a tractor once. I never drove a tractor. So he's like, <laughs> I need you to be up against a fence packing the track as close as you can. I'm gonna make some laps too in the other truck. And I'm not lying to you, it's no exaggeration. And the paint is already wore off that driver's side mirror. That thing was rubbing the wall. I hear it like every <laughs> once in a while. I was like, "Man, I'm going to tear up this mirror." And I told him about it. He goes, no, "That's what I wanted you to do." <laughs> that's when you know you're close enough. When yeah. you hear the mirror hit. Yeah, my, my butthole is was puckering more driving that truck to my sprint car. <laughs>
1: well, we're at about an hour and fifteen minutes. Um, You know, I, I'm going to ask you one more time, just because I want to. I want to make sure that that we get them in. You know, can you run your sponsors down one more time? I want to make sure that they they get
3: a you know a shout out here. Yeah, man, I can do that. Um uh, Momentum Racing Suspensions, Hoosier Tire, Simpson Racing Products. I have Roger Williams Precision Engines. I have Orville Wright and um, Nate Brandon Long Care. I'm trying to think who else? Line Line Coatings does there once in a while. They didn't do that this year, but I'll still throw them out there because there's a future potential there. And Kevin Thomas racing services and uh I think that's it besides uh little Joss Moffat here.
2: <laughs> better think better think dad and, and wife too, while you're at Yeah,
3: there. my dad Billy Moffat and then uh, my wife Angel Miller Moffat. She uh she's redheaded but she <laughs> I call her my evil ginger. <laughs> i got a redheaded mother i understand all about that <laughs> hey i'd uh i'd love to
2: have you back but have you bring dad one because uh let's do this your your dad has some of the greatest story because i mean you know i don't really know how old your dad is but he you know when we hung out there at my neighbor's when when you was younger your dad would tell stories and i mean he would amaze you for hours and i would just love him have him come
3: on and tell his you know we need to do that you know maybe sometime soon, maybe you care if we do this and we just have like racing stories and dad, stories, if everybody be interested, maybe you guys could figure that out. I mean, I oh, think yeah. that'd be a good time. Absolutely. I because, think that'd be a blast.
2: Uh, anybody that's been to a sprint car race in the last, I know 30 to 40 years, they know Billy Moffat. I mean, he, yeah. you know, he has been around. I mean, he's a ele- he, like I said, he's probably the most famous guy that never sat in the seat of a, of a sprint car at a sprint car race ever. So I would love, I'd like to see your dad again. Cause I haven't seen him for, Forever, anyway. So, yeah, we'll I'll get back a hold of you. You come down and bring Dad, and uh, we'll have
1: a night of sprint car stories. How's that sound?
3: We'll do that. That sounds good to me. I love it. Well,
1: before we leave, I do want to throw out our sponsors um in the Fast Lane Productions. uh If you haven't checked out last week's episode, Ryan Bowling was on with us, uh kind of talking about in the Fast Lane and where they're headed. uh So, in the Fast Lane Productions dot com, the new website is going to be up here shortly. Uh, may be up already. I know Ryan texted me on Monday and said that it it was going to be live soon, so it may be up already. So check out in the Fast Lane Productions and then Schaefer Photo and Custom T, uh, the official track photographer for Brownstown Speedway. Again, if you're looking for some kind of gift for a race fan in your life, check out Schaefer Photo and Custom T. They do a terrific job making sure that every picture is you know edited and centered and and the best quality you can get. Um, Check out their trailer. Once we get out of Mother Nature and she wants to let us get out and play a little bit, check out their trailer behind the grandstands at Brownstown Speedway. Last one again, uh, Kenny Montgomery. Thank you to Kenny Montgomery for allowing us to use his new song, Dirt, as our intro music. And again, we'll let it play out here at the end of the the episode. Um, So again, huge shout out to Kenny. Hopefully going to get him on the podcast here in the next uh, month or so. Get him to call in and do a little bit of an interview. And last, again, I said this last week, but I want to throw it out one more time because I know he's gonna he's gonna throw us out too. If you're looking for another racing podcast to listen to, check out the Briscoe Breakdown uh, with Toby Wedgwood, good buddy of mine, Toby. Uh, kind of following Chase and and what he's doing in in the uh, Xfinity Series. He's kind of bouncing around on a lot of things, racing some some races in a Xfinity. I know he's gonna be back out with his dirt sprint car team. So check out the Briscoe Breakdown with Toby Wedgwood. Also, if, if it does quit raining, um,
2: first points night will be this Saturday at Brownstown. Absolutely. So if if Mother Nature is kind enough and uh, the water can go away, that we're going to try to race at Brownstown and be points night,
1: and you're going to race at Lawrenceburg this Saturday night. That's my plan. The USAC Sprint Car Show. Good deal. All right. Well, Josh, I want to tell you thanks a lot. I mean, I I really appreciate you coming down. I've had a blast. I hope you've had some fun um let's definitely make it happen with getting your dad in here and and it'd be great if we got some other guys just to tell some old war stories in here and and uh i think that'd be a really fun episode but i appreciate you coming down and spending time with us
3: i really want to thank both of you guys and i appreciate you letting me come on this show it's been a lot of fun pretty cool deal i really like what you have going on i think everybody has a good time so and everybody wants to tune in if my dad comes because old, uh, <laughs> wild bill is gonna get crazy in here oh yeah yeah it'll be crazy
1: <laughs> All right. Well, everybody have a good week. And, hey, if Mother Nature holds off, get to a dirt track somewhere on Saturday night. Thank you.
0: Kenny Wallace on that dirt, 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 I miss that dirt, 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 dirt. gotta get back to it, I've been the Kenny Wallace of the rap game, ever since I hit him with that dirt track thing, now nationwide, everybody knows my name, they're like mama, that's Kenny Montgomery, he sings that song we like, Yeah boy that's me, roll out the trailer I'm flossin' Them Hoosier tires glossin' Them cold kind we're tossin' They know I came to wreck it, yet I rarely bring out a caution I hit the high side, boy I park it for Brian Clausen I do them like Kyle Larson Watch me throw them sliders Party in Victory Lane And y'all boys ain't invited Your mama gets excited When I pull up to unload Even your grandpa talking about it. Man, that boy too cold We don't sit on 24s We don't ride on spinners uh-uh, I'm posted up on them 15s With Platinum Dirt Defenders Got kids up in my window like hey mo are you gonna win it? Yeah, I hope y'all brought some stamps Cause y'all know I'm about to send it on me Dirt I just won hot laps for the third week. Huh? Little Dave said he thinks we're in the first heat. Yeah. So I go and check the board on my bike. Sitting outside pole. Y'all know what it's looking like. Uh-huh. W, W, that's another George W. Hit him with that half a lap. Like, dang, what gear you running, it dude? Come. And where'd you get that fire suit? Man, I like that stitching. Velocity USA. Hey, just tell Brad that I sent you. Rub it up and I'm smiling for the fix Y'all boys be looking tacky While I stay looking slick so Four new rims, no new friends They never know what I'm planning never. And mama just gave me them eyes like They maybe you looking handsome hey, Brid, We be praying, sing the anthem Nobody takes a knee uh-uh. We stop and show respect Cause we're all proud to be In right. the land of the free and the home of the brave Y'all better wake up and get it uh-huh. We're making America great again Let's all go out and kick it get on this Dirt, dirt